Never before has the dark tongue of Mordor been spoken in the halls of Imnatris. <laughs> and my axe. <laughs> and my axe. <laughs> Unnecessary. Gondor will see it done. <laughs> what? Father, <laughs> think that doesn't need I return. Oh, God. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hey there, buddy. This is KJ, one of you boys, one of your your feasty boys. Uh, Don't worry, this is a normal episode we just kind of ran out of time to do an intro like we like to do um because patrick is super busy with uh some of his uh, personal projects and things work projects uh and nathan is going on a surprise trip to hawaii to meet up with his biological brother it's not not like he's surprising his brother it's just you know it's a it's a new ish it was kind of a spur of the moment thing go back a couple episodes you can hear more about it but I uh, just wanted to let you know we have a fantastic episode with Lauren Reese. Uh, she was so generous with her story. Uh, she's an Indiana resident, um, friends IRL with Patrick, and and would uh, go to the 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 meetup groups uh, or join the meetup groups. Maybe those are digital. Maybe they're not IRL friends. I don't know. Anyways, uh, she is super into knitting, um, the old needlework, um, and she. Yeah, it's just awesome to be able to talk to her. Um, it's a really powerful episode uh, because Lauren is so generous with her story, some of her struggles, the things that she's going through. And just as she's recounting her history, um, I was just struck by how how brave uh, and how honest um, and genuine she was in telling a story. So it was a real privilege to have her on the show. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Fair warning before we get into it. Um, it's a heavy episode and there's lots of laughs. Um, so I just want to let you know coming into it that even though we still try to bring that John Chi flavor, it is a heavy episode. And so if you're not in the headspace for a heavy episode or anything, that's totally understandable. Uh, happy APAM. If I forgot to say that at the top, um, Asian and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month um, is a mouthful and is something that we're excited to be here doing. So, all right, enough of that grandstanding. On to our regular scheduled interview. Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview portion. We haven't done one of these in a while, but I'm very excited to bring the segment back with our guests tonight. She is a fellow Korean adoptee who resides right here in my neck of the woods, Indiana. And if you don't know who I am speaking, I am Patrick, but we already got through all of that on the intro. <laughs> so we're going to keep moving forward. Um, I love, I, I'm privileged and honored to welcome my friend Lauren Reese to the John Chi Show. Lauren, hey, how are you doing? Great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm a huge fan. We'll love to hear it. Love to hear it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, but thank you. I'm glad you enjoy the show, I guess, is the appropriate response. As Patrick knows, I commute an hour to work. So there's a lot of... Lots of time to listen. <laughs> to stuff. Not just the John Chi show. To not just the... Yeah, that's a good yeah, call. Lots right. of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you don't just solely listen to our show on repeat. I, ran on out, I mean, I ran out of hours, hours ago. <laughs> that's oh, that sounds like a challenge that we need to make up more hours <laughs> to fill your drive uh well that's what we're doing right now <laughs> so you'll be able to listen to your own episode on the next drive to work um in the spirit of moving forward in this interview uh as you know as we go through our motions of that question see i'm doing a terrible job right now um as you okay, know as we do in every inter- at the uh, beginning of every interview um lauren if you want to share as much or as little of your story as you'd like we'd love to hear it okay so i think I kind of think my story started in 2019. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, I am a huge knitter. And if you're on Instagram, you know, you get into these little niche underground communities of random interests. Um, so I'd already been kind of showing lots of things off for a, a couple of years. And um in January of 2019, the Knitstagram community kind of blew up with a discussion <laughs> on um, on systemic racism, like 
Somebody mm. made a comment and it just spurred a whole conversation amongst the knitters on Instagram. And I'm trying to figure out what the drama's going, what's going on, and why everyone's posting that, you know, they're against racism. So I had to do a lot of um, learning and unlearning at that time. And I was really finally kind of understanding all of my whole life, right? <laughs> like everything that's happened up to this point. Um, but it took a while to process some things. A big part of my story was a rupture within my relationship with my adoptive mother. She really didn't like one of the reposts that I made about the pyramid of white supremacy. And it came out in a way that I was just so shocked by. Uh, growing up, we were close. My senior year, I was valedictorian and my speech was like really a dedication to her. Mm. So I've always, there's been other things that have caused tension in our relationship, but for the most part, I felt like we were very close. So it surprised me a little bit how how she reacted to what I was kind of unlearning and trying to have these discussions with her about. But that, uh, I think I had like a traumatic response to what happened. And I went into self-protection mode and was just like, whoa, cut off any time and space. So still learning. My husband and I, we've been married for a long time. So we're still learning, unlearning. We're trying to have children, three little babies happening. And um, over the past four years, that relationship has just dwindled. But um, I think when 2020 happened, it felt like the whole world's looking at anti-racism. The whole world's looking at this right now. And lots of people are learning and unlearning. And nobody in my direct immediate daily life seemed to be doing any of that. And some of the rhetoric that you hear around um, when big things happen and protests happen, those things are said a lot in the environments that I'm in. Um, and so it's kind of like becoming a coming to a head where we have to go, whoa, we've got kids. Uh, how are we talking about this and how your viewpoint of this may be different than ours? And I think what it really comes down to is what is love? Mm. I think we know that racism isn't love. <laughs> Supporting <laughs> racism is not love. So I grew up in a household where um very religious. We support things or don't support things based on our values. And racism doesn't seem to be one that is off the table. <laughs> so yeah, we're just really trying to balance what life looks like right now, still trying to raise our three children. At the time, um, my daughter was going to go to kindergarten and I realized like, I haven't even really talked to her about being Asian. And I was worried about like <laughs> what someone might say to her. And then interestingly enough, the first or second week of school, I drive up to the line to pick her up. And this little boy, he just looks at me and slowly pulls his hands up to his eyes to pull his eyelids to the sides. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And he like stops. <laughs> and he goes to do it again. I'm like, no, no, no. And I want to just say more, but I, my trauma response is like, right. like, okay, I was so worried about my daughter being made fun of at school. And here I'm still getting made fun of at school. <laughs> How many years out? Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I grew up in Nebraska. I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place with the story, but I grew up in Nebraska and Missouri. And I was the new kid at school, of course, for kindergarten. And I've shared before with Patrick, first grade, second grade, and then again, eighth grade, ninth grade, and 10th grade. Yeah, because you moved around a lot early on, correct? So I was adopted to a white couple in Nebraska, very rural Nebraska. When my parents divorced, I was seven. I have a brother who's also from South Korea, and he is a year younger than me. So I was seven. He was six. Parents divorced. We moved to the middle of Missouri to be closer to my grandparents. And there were a lot of things said because we were the only people of color in like maybe the county, the town for sure. And there were a couple of other older Filipino guys, but I think they were like college age, so they weren't really around. But so the whole school, K through 12, a town of less than 900 people, it takes two hours to drive anywhere to the closest mall. <laughs> 
Um, and I think like, oh my gosh, I've told my husband, like by the time I was my daughter's age, I'd already had experienced so much, been told to go back to where I came from, all the things. Luckily, she hasn't really had that many experiences, but just thinking like how my racial identity or lack thereof <laughs> is very similar to many of us and similar to Patrick's, just that rural upbringing. Not to say that things weren't good too. Um, I think eventually people in the town kind of just know you as, oh, you're Pastor Elmer's grandkids or you're the art teacher's kids or whatever. So it just became pretty normal and it was fun. I felt accepted for the most part that those teenage teenagers started and then we packed up to move. Uh, we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was the first time I'd ever really been around diversity, which is sad, right? If you're... <laughs> If you move to Indiana and you say this is around diversity, that says a lot. I mean, but Fort Wayne's not like a a small city. So, I mean, well, like maybe comparatively, but like when you're going from a town of like 900 people and you go to like an urban quote unquote area, then you're like, yeah, you're just going to naturally get some of that. But yeah, I I hear what you mean. And then it's different too to experience racism from other races, right? I think... Growing up, retrospectively, of course, you think about a lot of things that maybe you kind of felt in the moment. Yeah. I remember thinking as a kid, like, this experience would be way worse for me if I were Black. I honestly thought that in the town I grew up in. So there's kind of like this level of acknowledgement in my child brain that whiteness is the standard and the rest of us are kind of just out here, you know, othered. So that was kind of shocking as like a 14-year-old to have other uh, races have different things to say. In ninth grade, we moved to Northwest Indiana, so closer to Chicago. Still pretty diverse of an area, but just kind of like right on the outskirts of that. And I was getting harassed almost on the daily. Now I realized I was having anxiety. My stomach was hurting so bad all the time. I would just sleep to not feel the stomach pain. So I missed a lot of school freshman year. And that's what led us. My brother was also like getting pretty angry and wasn't going to put up with, just put up with the crap, you know, so mm-hmm. fighting was happening and all that. So we moved schools, kind of a school of misfits, I'd say, a small parochial school in the south suburbs of Chicago. And it was a good time. It was pretty fun. I, I would say like mostly I had a good, normal childhood. But yeah, it's like the whole world like we often say, the whole world just kind of changes and everything you thought you knew is no longer true. It's been, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, I absolutely like, I hear, hear story and, and have so many questions, but first and foremost, want to acknowledge like just the, the response that I see in you even going back through into the vault of your memory and, and digging that up. Um, it, yeah, it's just a real privilege uh, for us to hear that. And and so thank you for sharing. Thank you for being honest. And, and before we get any further, really, thank you for uh, coming on the show and being that vulnerable and that honest. Um, I think it's really, really great. And you, you honor us by sharing your story. So thanks. My first question, actually, uh, I love that you started with the knitting community on Instagram. I think that's like, that's really great. Instagram. Um, yeah. So can you... I did knit note of that. Yeah, can oh you talk me through what the <laughs> talk me through what the impetus was for racial justice in the knitting community? Like, do you know what that flashpoint was in 2019 for that community? Yeah, the uh, there was a maker and a bag producer that also had a blog knitter, of course, and she. I think she was referencing like a trip to India that she thought, you know, as a teenager, that would have been like taking a trip to Mars. Mm. And somebody just commented, like, I'm tired of that being like India being so exoticized or whatever. But I don't think it was like necessarily that, but it was the way the blogger reacted that spurred Mm. more conversation. Mm. So then more people started just educating us I mean, it wasn't their job to do it, but these knitters just kind of started putting up little um, stories, story highlights that they could save so you could reference those. And then everyone's 
recommending different books. Um, we've all, not all, you could go into a local yarn store and definitely be judged based mm. on your race. To a non-knitter, there is a wide variety of yarn range price ranges. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that comes into play too. Can you afford these yarns or maybe maybe you need to look over here or maybe not even being helped at all or being followed around a store? Mm, okay, gotcha. Huh. Um, oftentimes in knitting stores, people are sitting in a group knitting together too. So that may be like an area where you may feel welcome or unwelcome. Hmm. So I think everyone just kind of just like lit a fire talking about um, lots of people shared those experiences, but then there was a call for action. What is your company doing to support BIPOC? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Did that trigger as well in you specifically to start unpacking your adoption or thinking about your adoption differently? Or were you just, was it really like self-racial like awareness at that time, more specifically about being Asian, being Korean American, whatever that might be? Oh, it's hard to um, separate racism and racial identity and adoption. Sure. <laughs> I think it informed so much of my life and the people that I think about that have been in my life that I had to think about adoption too when it comes to race. I can't deny that this reaction by my mom certainly probably played a role. Sure. So I guess I asked the question because like for me, when I started all this, it was self-racialization. And if I hadn't been sent the study about Korean adoptees, I don't know if I necessarily would have been thinking about my adoption because Mm -hmm. I was still like even going through that. I think I was still so I was still in the blindness of or in the shroud of whiteness. And I would have not thought about my family connection in any way of having affected my racial identity. However, like that study then triggered the fact that, oh, this is an experience that other people go through. And I didn't realize that that was similar to mine until I had read it on the page because I had just so rejected the idea of that being anything that had to do with me. So I guess that was why I was asking the question, because for me, it was just I was just completely separated at the time from it, divorced from it, even with even after I was like, oh, I need to understand myself as a Korean or an Asian person better. But um, had I not been prompted or provoked in that way via the study to read the word adoptee and be like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, And then to go down that journey, I guess I guess that was why I was asking, because I just I think it's fascinating to think about how those things come into play. And I totally agree. I think it's really hard now that I've thought about it to divorce those two things like adoption and racism go hand in hand transracial adoption specifically because like you said you know you're growing up in all of these rural white communities on the fringes of the urban communities even when you found diversity like in fort wayne or the suburbs of chicago on the fringes where you're still and then because we're in white adoptive families still housed in whiteness still housed in that comfortability that proximity that we don't necessarily ever interrogate and like for me i just internalized it so deeply that like I never thought about it again until again, like I said, prompted. So that was why I was asking the question just to, um, I don't know, just to see kind of how you thought about that. I think it's similar uh, for sure. I, I kind of laugh still like, and I'm embarrassed a little bit that it took knitting to get me to think <laughs> about race, race. I love racial it. Racial identity, <laughs> racial justice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't all these other things happening out in the world was knitting <laughs> the only thing that would make it better was if you were like i don't know some like crocheting group came after me and then i was like <laughs> first you get into it for like knitting versus crocheting and then you're like wait a minute there's a racial <laughs> component to this right what's the deeper <laughs> meaning to this <laughs> yeah it started as a turf war over yarn and now it's become something <laughs> entirely different <laughs> i think 2020 did spur more of the adoptee side um mm. i listened to my first panel of transracial adoptees in the summer of 2020, and they were mostly Haitian adoptees, but they brought up really good points that I had never thought about. Like, mm. why do you want a child of, you know, a black child? Do you have friends that are black? Like, oh, do I, my parents don't have any friends that are Asian. What does it say for bringing a child of color to an all white church? Like, 
oh, never, like, why haven't I ever thought of it in those terms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think Nam opened up quite a bit too that year. Mm. Uh, people were really posting a lot of um, at-risk for suicide checklist types of things. And I was really having a really hard time uh, in family relationships. And uh, I I don't think I was suicidal, but I do, I was like, wow, this checklist is like, uh, <laughs> it's hitting me a little bit. So yeah. got into therapy, had to be on a waiting list for a little while. Then more, more crap happened with my mom and I couldn't, or not really even my mom that time. It was actually with in-law family. Um, and I was like, and that of course affects my marriage. Um, mm. Mm. so lots of therapy, lots of adoptee, uh, content consumption. Um, I think that's about the time when I found you all. Anybody from those initial days that besides us that you that stand out in your mind as being like, Oh, I really connected with what this person was saying. Angela Tucker's podcast was the first one, first adopt adoption related podcast I had listened to. I think Tiffany Hennis was on that podcast. Oh, yeah, I believe and so. She was like the first person that I heard just name like white supremacy is causing a rupture in my family, you know, like mm. she didn't say it in those words, but to just name it. And I'm, I was just looking for somebody, anybody to talk about this struggle. Uh, when you can feel probably emotional abuse, but you're trying to determine, is it abuse? What's been normal my whole life and what's not okay. Yeah. I think I let my parents have their opinions for a long time. I think my brother caught on earlier than I did. Uh, but once it became directed at me, sorry, I think I'm you're good. You, you're talking you're totally about good. some really hard things. So you take all the time you need. That's what editing is for. <laughs> if at any point this becomes too much for you or yeah. too anything, feel free to just pause and like but just say like i need a i need a minute or can we talk about something else yeah. that's one of the reasons that i try to make jokes i think the work that storytelling does is good and is is powerful and it's hard and if you can find a minute to laugh it helps you kind of continue through or at least check yourself and be like yeah, i think i'm i'm good to stop now so not that this is a therapy session this is a <laughs> podcast for mostly entertainment and s- slightly educational purposes but and none of us uh, are licensed I just wanna, mental health professionals yeah <laughs> i just want to provide that for you and be like of course you can at any moment be like i need more time you have nothing to apologize no for. apologies <laughs> necessary yeah well i think i already am pretty aware uh that more trauma work trauma focus work um has yet to be done for me so yeah looking into more of specific treatments mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's interesting too. So it's you. <laughs> I was looking at when this form was filled out. It looks like it was filled out almost a year ago. So we're going backwards <laughs> in terms of how we're catching up on things uh, in terms of your guest form. But on your guest form, and if you don't want to talk about this, it's totally cool. Um, but you talk about uh, Christianity has always ruled my upbringing and many of my views. And you've done complete one eighties. You reference in your story about. Um, you know, being married and having kids and, and, and your relationship with your mom comes up with, comes up a lot. And I imagine, um, if, you know, like, as you said, your upbringing was like generally good, obviously there are highlights of like really hard and traumatic experiences around race and adoption and gender, you know, those kinds of things. But generally, if you, if you think of it as good, uh, and you think about like, if you're given this idea of Christianity and values and being, well, God is love and, and we're love. And then being like, well, racism isn't love, but apparently that's also okay in Christianity. How, like, where are you right now with religion broadly and your life and kind of like in your, like just your immediate family, like personally and in your immediate family? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have found it really hard to walk into a church the last time I was there 
and started just bawling and walked out. And I just couldn't go back in. I've kind of wondered, do I need to find a black church? Because <laughs> there's not a Korean church up here. <laughs> but maybe I need Korean to, churches uh, have look their at, own flavor yeah, of things, too. Yeah, have their own thing as well. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I do think about... Um, some indie people that I've met recently over the past year or two as well, just kind of reaching out to them more and being like, you know, they seem to be pretty grounded in their faith. So I think I also just admire that. Um, mm-hmm. There's still a part of me that's like, Jesus is my guy. Uh, but there's just all the the things that the world has done. All the other stuff. Yeah. yeah that makes it yeah. complicated. Yeah. I saw someone post recently, or I think it might have been today, actually. They said that they're not, they had recently, they're talking about and unpacking their uh, journey out of Christianity. And they said, I'm no, not a Christian any longer, but I'm also not an atheist because I feel the divine in all things and being able to like name that. And I feel like that's something that really resonates with me. Like, I don't necessarily know, I don't know how to describe it other than that. You know, I think that's why I always, for a while, I was considering myself agnostic because I'm like, I believe in something, but I don't know what that is. Because I feel like it's very unknowable to think about the thing that's capable of everything that we place on whatever divine is. Um, I don't know. You feel like that you might be in that limbo space as well. I don't I don't know if that's a, an appropriate metaphor or, or description of it, but just something that as you were talking, like registered in my mind. Yeah, I think I'm somewhere there. I think... Growing up, there's this um, question that comes up, like, well, what about people that have never just been exposed to Jesus, you know? Yeah. Uh, how fair like, is that for to them hell? to be yeah. sent to hell? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm kind of just thinking that if God and Christianity is where it's at, then um, the world has twisted quite a bit of of the message. Yeah, when when I met my wife, uh, a lot of her family was Buddhist, and uh, I, the few semin, uh, the few um, times I've actually visited uh, the Buddhist temples, and for uh, different uh, reasons, I've always enjoyed uh, hearing a different perspective um, from that. We even had some of the their traditions in our wedding when we when we got married, um, including the incense, which was smoking out my groomsmen, but. Um, <laughs> It was it was definitely something that I, I've always wanted to know more about. And because of the same thing, I, I was raised Christian, went to church, did all different types of, um, you know, church camps and, and went every week. And then um, same thing, I, I like Patrick, I, I turned toward more agnostic than, than anything uh, over the last 10 years, probably, or more. And uh, yeah, I really, I, I don't know, I, I'm curious, I, I would like to someday talk to somebody more about Buddhism and somebody, maybe a, even a CAD that, that uh, somebody has looked into that too. Um, I don't know. You guys know anyone that's, that's Buddhist? I think, uh, your wife? <laughs> Not, a, <laughs> Not a CAD. Not a CAD. I don't know if I know any CAD Buddhists. Yeah. I've been curious if that, if that is a religion that, that CADs have, have uh, dabbled in or looked into, I don't know. But, well, and do Buddhists yeah. adopt as high of a rate as Christians adopt? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of religious yeah. families, you get like Christians and then Jewish community. And then like after that, I don't know, but yeah. everyone else. But I think it's, it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I have a, a similar thing. Christianity has been a, a huge part of my life. And at this point, I'm like spiritual and I want to be religious, but I don't want to be Christian religious because I still have some of those like same like uh, feelings around the church, the Christian church specifically, but I miss the, um, the structure and like the sense of history and tradition that church and organized religion can afford. And so something like the Buddhism or, uh, even Islam, you know, those kinds of things, like I, I miss, that uh like mm. sarah and i still pray before dinner and i'm like i don't know who i'm praying to but i generally am like oh like i appreciate the practice of being grateful for the food i'm about to eat uh or sarah and i pray every night 
mostly she prays every night, <laughs> but I still appreciate the practice of like reflecting on my day and stating gratitudes. But if I were just to say like, thank you to the world for the, like that feels weird to me. Like it, it feels like it needs to be pointed at something. <clears throat> but the, I guess the, the thing that I, I'm curious about and, and just for our reference, uh, you, are you in an interracial re- marriage? Okay. And your I husband am. is white? Yes. Okay, cool. Just want to, like, for context. Yeah. That's an important piece to this. <laughs> yeah. Again, thinking about upbringing, changing values, and whatever. Um, let me say flippantly, like, that's not just like a bombshell of a life <laughs> thing happening. Um, like, when you have this, these values that are wrapped up in a religion, and then your values start to shift, but your religion doesn't. I think it causes like kind of a unique uh, separation, a schism, if you will, and like like your inner soul. And I think that that's like one of the things that I've experienced because I, I have a, a similar thing where it's like, yeah, I've got all these changing values and the language that I have doesn't quite match up. Like, you know, I say God is love and someone else says God is love. And yet clearly we mean two very different things. And so how do you have further conversations and important conversations when you quote, have the same values and yet clearly you actually have very different Mm. values. What's that conversation been like as you've felt you're shifting from starting in 2019 with your knitting community, uh, moving into 2020 and on, as you felt your values change, what's that conversation been like uh, with your husband and maybe even with your kids if they're old enough at a really high kind of general level um, to communicate like those shifting values? Oh, it's so hard. Uh, I think early on, Kyle and I had some discussions to really try to be on the same page. And from there, we're both learning and propelling forward. So it wasn't like I had to push him to do it. He was doing Mm -hmm. it too. And we're keeping up kind of at the same pace. Um, And that's, that's hard when we start talking about how we're going to raise our kids and what they're going to notice. Um, and what are they going to say or how are they going to feel when they realize we have loved ones that, um, say problematic things. (laughs) Uh, so we're, we have asked family to try to learn more, um, to be better equipped when our kids want to talk about things or, um, but it's, the doors have been shut in our face. It kind of feels like. Yeah. Um, so that brings up more conversations with the kids. Like, why can't I go to so-and-so's house? Well, we're, you know, it gets to a point where it's finally just like, I don't know what else to tell you than the truth. Um, to, to some extent to your age. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've let my kids know, like, when you're a grown up, you can decide for yourself. Uh, but for now, I have to protect you. That's my job. Um, and that's what we're going to keep doing. Um, I think I've had to learn a lot too with the whole uh, estrangement thing, is because um, I'm trying to hopefully not have that happen to my kids and myself. Right. Um, You're saying what you've gone through is not ideal <laughs> for the future of families? Yeah. Like, I need a how to not get. Yeah. <laughs> One out of five would not recommend estrangement. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Um, so, I'm learning, you know, so much about relationships is the repair mm. uh, because we're not doing the right thing most of the time. What somebody needs, you know, it's we can't. We can't fulfill that all of the time. So the repair is so important. Um, so I hope the kids that comes across to them as we continue to raise them that we make mistakes. Um, how can I do better? I'm going to acknowledge your feelings. Uh, I think that's kind of what we would like, even as adults. Um, right. Yeah. What's well, that being validated? We want our experience that we had validated. And I think 
that's the really difficult part of navigating these relationships from all parties because when we are navigating the world, we have to do it as our own self. But when you have, I don't have kids yet, but I can only assume based on my relationship, my parents hearing from my friends who have kids, navigating that relationship is now you're doing it for two people. And you're like, you're like you said, you have to protect your kids to a certain extent for as they grow up until they get to that adulthood level and they can go and make their own decisions. You know, it's on you to be able to provide and facilitate that safe, that feeling of safety. And then by extension, that feeling of validation and being seen like stuff that even for those of us who may have had a positive experience with adoption and with our adoptive families growing up, doesn't mean that we were shielded from all of these terrible things or that terrible things did not seed themselves during that time. And as children, we didn't have the language to articulate that and talk to our parents about that. Our parents also didn't have the language to ask the questions about what is happening. We can ask, they can ask on the face of, on its face of like, or not even ask, but tell you that was wrong. Like they should not have said that. But then we watch as no follow through happens. There is no repercussion for that person saying this thing. Not even if it wasn't directed at me, but especially if it was directed at me, it's just that the lesson is that was wrong and we move on and then we move past it because those things, there's always going to be bad people we hear. There's always going to be somebody who's doing something wrong. And that's true to a certain extent. However, it doesn't mean that we can't also do that interior work like we're doing right now to be better for our eventual next generation, whether we are modeling that for our own children or modeling it for other folks or for other kids, other young people who see us in whatever ways that we are visible. And I think, you know, I don't blame my adoptive parents for not necessarily seeing those things. However, I can also ask for accountability, you know, ask to be seen and validated for my experience that I talk about and accountability on the part of like, you know, there were things that weren't done that also harmed me and by extension harmed our whole family because we weren't dealing with it. We weren't talking about it, you know, and we're talking about it now, but that's 20 years later. You know, and there's people that don't even 40, 50 years later, maybe not even get the opportunity to have that conversation with their parents. And that's a whole nother thing to unpack is like, okay, I've lost it completely or have complete estrangement, no contact whatsoever. How, like, how, what is that like processing? You know, so it's like there's so many things at play in terms of what do we have to do? And, but I, and at the end of the day, I think a lot of it comes back to being like, Like what you said, we make mistakes. Like we are not going to be perfect, get it right every single time. But especially as we model for these young people or our own children that it's okay to be accountable for when you get it wrong. And then then to show I'm capable of working to try and get it right the next time. Doesn't mean I won't mess up or slip up on, on the path towards that, but that I want to do that. And so... I don't know. I thought I had a question coming out of this, but I think I was just got fired up by what you were talking about. Okay, just well because said. it is just because it's like, I don't know. It's just like we it, we want to be we just want to be seen. And especially after we have this apocalypse moment where we step into our our whole life is changed. Like our parents are still thinking about out of at least one part of their brain. Like, well, this like, what did I do wrong? Or how does this affecting me? Or it's it, like it, they internalize it on themselves. And because but at the end of the day, it's like, I need you to see me for this is my journey. It's not yours. Like you have your own part to play or your own journey to go on. But like when I say this is what happened, like you can't sit here and invalidate me and deny me because this is my experience, not yours. So I guess that's what I was trying to say. That's what I got me fired up from. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and you deserve to be able to to feel that and and to... To receive, we all deserve to receive that from our adoptive parents, whether we are in contact or no contact, like we deserve that. And like, unfortunately, there are the different levels of how people are going to respond, as you well know, um, to trying to have that conversation. Sorry, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I got to have a question, but I just don't have one. I'm just like, it's I'm frustrated for you. I'm frustrated for you. Yeah, I can uh, forgive things in the past but I'd love to have a conversation of how we go forward. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, yeah. And I never, I didn't really expect to have, uh, like this whole other thing mimic my life with my in-law family either. Like we were a very close family for a really long time. Um, yeah, it's been. So you get the double whammy is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, Not just your own family, but also your in-laws family. Like I keep Mm -hmm. losing more family or realizing like, uh, Oh, we're not in the mutually respectful relationship. I thought we were in. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, why as adoptees will we want to go through a second separation of our families? Come on. Like, why would we want to do that? Like, we're not, we don't forcing people to like change their minds or whatever. It's just like, we want to be seen and we just want to exist as who we are. And it's just like, why would we want to go, especially once we understand about more about adoption, why would we want to go through another separation? We don't want to do that. Consciously or subconsciously, we don't yeah. want to do that. Why would and I just that's what makes me so frustrated, and that's why I'm fired up right now. It's just because, like, it's so on its like when you look even just um, mildly past the surface of it, like, it's plainly obvious that we don't that's so much more painful, so much more traumatic, so much more harmful to us to go through experience that again and to experience it over and over and over again when we have the opportunity to potentially have that conversation and find progress forward find a way forward. And it, and it just sits and it takes sitting down and talking about it, looking each other in the eye and seeing your, each other's humanity and having that conversation. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to like make it about me, like my, or my feelings. It's just like your situation and, and folks who have similar relationships with their adoptive parents in this way, it gets me fired up because it's maybe not easily solvable, but the solutions forward are there to be taken and to be had very, very easily. The, the Going through it is going to be difficult, but like there's the start. We have a starting line. Let's cross over it and go forward and move towards whatever that finish might be. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sorry. Have, All right, I'm done. I have a question that can kind of <laughs> segue from all Nathan's of Nathan's been waiting. <laughs> Nate, yeah, waiting to no, jump I in. Mean, but this is all in, in, in relation to kind of this what we're talking show. here. Yeah. yeah. Patrick's um, fired up. This is the show. <laughs> So with all the unlearning, the, the learning, the unlearning, the knitting community that kind of started you on this this uh, path, um, at what point did you start going into the adoption community? Because um, I did notice, you know, that we met at, at uh, Con last year, so that was great. Uh, what did you think about Con? What did you think about the community and the other areas that you have gone into over this time of, of discovery and and looking for a community to to uh, relate to? Uh, it is a very diverse community for sure, uh, of full of lots of varied opinions and, um, feelings. Um, I, I think I just like started hearing more and following more are probably part of this show and just different makers too are speaking up about being adopted, um, started following lots of different people. So. I think community, yeah, started more in 2021. Um, I reached out to Patrick about the local group. Um, but I don't know. That was like a funny start, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I think we had Patrick followed each other <laughs> on, like, you'd follow the show, I think, right? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. The Indiana group, our group is just like, we just come from all over the place and we're just, and the, the next day, I, the next time I meet people, there's new people and I love it. So I think that was the point. <laughs> um, I thought con was interesting. It was kind of what I expected, but I kind of also forgot the uh, clickiness that could happen at events like this. Like I definitely got the sense that some people knew each other and it was kind of like, where am I going to sit and who am I going to sit with? And I can't hear it in this room. So I'm asking you to say your name like five times. (laughs) Um, So some awkwardness there, but uh, it was, it was good. My husband came with me. So I think that was validating that, wow, all of these other people, are saying the exact same things and going through very similar things, um, which he already, he knew kind of what to expect anyway. But I do think that made me 
maybe held me back a little bit from attending some adoptee only sessions. Mm. He didn't ask mm. me to. He said I could totally go do whatever I wanted right. to, but I think sometimes I was just like, no. You I still know. feel that pressure, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, especially when they come with you, like traveling to another city, mm-hmm. like yes. it's like, okay, yeah. I want to make sure that we can do as much as we can together. Like yeah. that was the whole reason we came, right? Because like I love you yeah. and stuff, I guess. Oh I yeah, know. that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the love it's the relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know patrick you were saying earlier like why would you want to go through all of this stuff twice why would you want to go through this you know separation estrangement twice or however many times it happens and i know specifically from like a religious point of view like if you <laughs> are some version of american christian specifically like the evangelical flavored american christian and then you leave that world, you lose a lot, uh, purely mm. by way of community, not just everything else. But I mean, like it's a whole ecosystem unto itself. So, uh, to, yeah, to be going through, uh, that with your family, Lauren, with your in-laws, with your religion, like what's been the, like, has the adoptee community or the knitting community or other places, like, have they been new, uh, relationships for you in ways that are like actually beneficial to your life beyond just like, Oh, it's nice to be on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like I totally, yeah. Glazed over that in my last response to Nathan's question. Con, I got brave, went up to somebody at con and introduced myself because I know they're a knitter. (laughs) And so we connected on that. Amazing. Incredible. We have a solid group of like four of us. Sometimes one or two will join in, but we meet weekly on Zoom and knit and chat, adopty things and not. And that's been, that's definitely been a huge highlight. That's cool. A knitting yeah. adoptee group. Yeah, that's an that's intersectionality crazy. I never thought I'd hear. So that's awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is knitting always, is knitting like a safe haven too for you to go back to? each time whenever you're feeling like overwhelmed or extra anxiety from a situation or maybe something going on with your mom or family. Yeah. It was almost like, um, like all that stuff in 2019 prepared us knitters for 2020. It was like, we're ready. We've got yard. We've got needles. We've got anti-racism. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't even know what the question was. I just got lost there. Sorry. No, I'm just asking if knitting was like the thing that you're able to kind of step back into as like a safe haven or whatever it might be to get you away from whatever, like feeling overwhelmed, over anxious, whatever it might be. I I try to knit every day. um, Most days just to like get some relaxing rhythmic time in it is, it can be meditative definitely helps with anxiety or just like i don't like to just sit Mm -hmm. i watch a lot of tv but i can't just sit and watch tv so it's perfect sit and knit if i'm sitting i'm knitting if i'm sitting i'm knitting if you don't have a knitted shirt that says that (laughs) you ought to make one and then sell it and uh, this makes me want they're to find like a, an adoptee Lego group now. <laughs> like, yes. That's got to sure exist, right? I know. Yeah, it. I'm creating it. <laughs> Do it. That's incredible. Um, man. Yeah, that's so good. Okay. I, I have another question. This episode is coming out the first week of May, which is also Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Is that something that you celebrate? Is that something that you feel comfortable in like being like, claiming as something that's like yes i love doing this i'm glad you asked because i feel like this past couple months maybe six months or so i feel like this new newer sense of self-assurance or like i know who i am a little bit more than i ever have before um i was on a panel last year for work for a work event and it was funny to hear the other asian americans say actually i didn't know it was asian american history month Mm. (laughs) um so yes and no i mean yes there's this new sense of uh acceptance and pride but also like how much do i know really not much um and asian american history still being made a hundred percent 
Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, people feel all different types of ways about it, you know, um, feeling like we get pigeonholed into May, but also like it's a point for us to be celebrated. Like in, if people are only going to learn about us in the one month, then we should take advantage of those things. These are conversations that I've had as well. And as adoptees, I think it's, we even have this other tenuous like grasp of it, you know, because if almost it feel like we're on the fringes of it, like we don't really belong in the month anywhere, but really we belong in the month everywhere because we've always been like Asian enough. We've always been whatever ethnicity we are enough to participate. It's just, we've had that buffer or some of us, not all of us, but some people have had this buffer from going in and it can be really difficult to like, be like, yeah, this is something I want to celebrate or participate in or something that I can claim for myself. And I just love to hear, I can feel the joy coming out of you when you're answering it. When you're talking about this is this, even in the last six months, feeling this new self-assurance, this new sense of identity, maybe in, in, in self-assurance in that identity. So yeah, thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Yeah. Love it. That brings up an interesting thought too. I just did a work talk, lunch and learn thing about uh, microaggressions. Mm. It's like, I felt pretty comfortable talking about that, but I don't know (laughs) if I would feel super comfortable talking about Asian American history. Well, I mean, Asian American history, it's like, you got to know your facts. Like you can get facts checked on that easily. Microaggressions, Run the gamut. You could just give examples from your life, exactly. and yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. Like that is the fact. So I totally get it. Um, yeah. Totally get it. What do you think about uh, jumping to a snack now? Seems like a good time. What if she said no? What if she's like, <laughs> I don't feel like jumping she's, to a snack. She's, like, she's gonna I'm take the snack done. I sent her and and eat it. I'm those, not done. Eat it with her family. I was nervous <laughs> about the snack. I do have like sensory. Problems. <laughs> All right. Well, this snack is very Indiana-like, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna run a little break real quick, and then we will be right back with our Indiana-style snack right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Cheese Show, food portion um today we are eating something made by i want to say a german company but yet yeah, what the in, heck is this brand i don't I know see but yet it says made in here. korea i see so i made sure well, we had, that it said made in korea but yeah we had another company, thing by them in yeah. this recent round Gugan. of snacks Gugan. Yeah, recently Gugan. yes Gugan. i don't know uh where it's got yeah the, the Gugan. australian and the english it's mini it does corn. say made in South Korea, though. It does. Uh, it's these mini corn chips are grilled corn flavor. The Korean says kunok susu mat, which susu is just like very funny to me. So kunok susu mat. So I guess that's how you say grilled corn in Korean. Mm. Uh, I'm excited for it. So uh, as, as, as we cut to the uh, the food portion, you guys said that the slogan was Indiana and there's more than corn. Actually, so it's just for it. a theme park in Indiana. It is. <laughs> that is, is still it, going, I believe. Is this theme park corn related? <laughs> no. Oh, it's okay. It sounds like in a corn is, field. It, there's more than corn in Indiana. Oh, okay. Because Indiana I didn't know who was like a for corn. A lot of corn. Corn and okay. soybean. Whoa. Well, you had me at the corn. out in the field. Corn. Carnival, because I'd totally be uh, into oh, that. Oh, this is but, good, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Also, if you're like just it. joining us for the for the snack portion, which how dare you? Lauren oh. Reese is still here <laughs> with us. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with us in the interview portion. Yes, thank you. Yeah, oh, these look like corn flakes. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Interesting. Smells huh. good. Oh, but it smells. It tricks my brain because it looks like corn flakes, but it's savory flavored. I this is so salty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so this is a Korean snack for sure. Uh, Just the way that it what? tastes, the buttery, the, the amount of butter, the buttery right. amount of right? butter, the amount it of savory. Looks like, I think I should be. Looks saying. like cornflakes, but I do not want to put milk on this. That would just not be good. No, this is like. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Lauren, first impressions. It's very better light. than I expected. Yeah. Okay. What were you expecting? I don't know. Maybe like something like Fritos like. Yeah, that's what I was expecting, actually. 
Totally. I guess that's a says, corn chip too. I mean, yeah, corn chip. Yeah, it was corn chip. The original corn chip. Yeah. I think I'm just thrown off by it looking like cornflakes because. Yeah, me too. And then I expected like thick. a. I know it says chips, but I expected like a cracker type thing. Like shaped I kind of expected like a, like a popcorn like a mini kernel. corn. Yeah. yeah. Even though that's not what this is. That would that's also make sense. I don't bag. know. I'm clearly an idiot. Don't I, listen to me. I, I, this is a very confusing snack, though. It makes me want to put it in milk, but I agree that I wouldn't put this in milk. <laughs> no, it would be it would be really because the texture, though. right? You're like yeah. I'm eating. My eyes yeah. tell you I'm eating cornflakes. Well, even like the mouth very is like, last these aren't cornflakes. I mean the the saltiness of it is addicting. Yeah, like, it feels I, like I, I should be eating this for breakfast. I keep going <laughs> back. Does it have a little sugary taste too, though? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like a little yeah. sweet. Sugar is like I don't the think fourth Korea ingredient. does non-sugar and savory com- like combinations it's mm. like if, there's, if it's savory it's always got to be a little sweet i don't know and that's just it how does have it is to msg me. but okay i mean so does seaweed so yeah so does soy sauce i know yeah there's <laughs> like plenty of things so naturally, just a, msg just a is naturally occurring and for anybody else who might be trying this and if you have a sensitivity i think they're pretty good <laughs> we're all we all keep eating them i'm not mad I mean, about them i'm not i mean I'm, like I'm confused, but yet I keep going back for this more. This is the most confused I've ever seen you on a snack, Nathan. You're yeah. very confused. <laughs> I'm only angry because I didn't open it well enough, so I can only take small handfuls at a time. So that's mm. just, uh, otherwise I'd be I'd be down. I should, maybe if I got I mean, like a how spoon, big of I a handful just, are you trying to take? shoveling. I, like a whole, I just want more. You want a whole hungry? full fistful. I mean. <laughs> is that you just held up your fist? Look, uh, this, that's all I got right here. That's all you need. It's too savory. I know. Don't eat a whole fistful. So I think that's what keeps me going back is that salty, buttery flavor. And then the light lightness of it, like a, like an actual yeah. corn chip, like, a, good, uh, you know, like a, a cereal corn chip makes it lighter. So I don't feel like it's too heavy, like a Frito. I mean, yeah. you know, you can only eat so many Fritos. Yeah. Says who? <laughs> Only two servings per container, so you could eat like a lot. calories total. A lot. Hmm. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Big. Let's jump into ratings, though. Uh, Nathan, what what are you going to give this oh, out of five? How much? How many susus out of five? Susu, mini mini corn chips. Ah oh, man, this is. I like it. I already said that. I keep going back for more. I'm confused because, like you said, I, I don't want it to be like cereal because of the texture and the uh, lightness of it. But um, so, if as long as I don't think about it as cereal, just think about it as a light, flaky corn chip. I'm going to give it a four. So, a four. A four? All right. Yeah, four or five. I can't hear you I over the eating. crunching in my ears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep downing it. I don't know what would make it a five, and I don't know. You don't even know if you want it to be a five. I don't think You're I so want it confused. to be a five. Yeah, I wouldn't even You're think so a confused. Frito would be a five for me. I love Fritos, but I think a Frito might only be like a... I love that a there's a world where you're like, you know what? I like this snack, but I actually don't want it to succeed to its fullest. <laughs> <laughs> I actually need critical. it to be kind of middle of the road. That's hilarious. I want it to earn that five. Wow. All right, mm. Lauren? I'm going to give it four and a half. Whoa, moving on up. Yeah. Uh, it is light, tasty. You can keep going back to it. And like, out of a lot of the Korean snacks I've had, this is definitely on the better side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, especially for chips. Like the, a lot of the other chips yeah. have some weird aftertaste or, or some textures that I don't like. Yeah, you're right. This one definitely, as, as far as Korean chips goes, really good. Go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm glad that ahead. you brought up the MSG point, Nathan, because I think that it does have like a kind of umami flavor that I associate. I think specifically in like the chip in the chip department, I think of it with like Funyuns, but it does kind of like also mm. kind of remind me of like a shrimp cracker kind of thing. And mm. I think that's a, that MSG is usually a key signifier of like something will have umami. Um, so yeah, I think it's really good. Uh, I I love that and like the way it finishes. So. I'm going to give it a five out of five. Uh, wow. I can't get enough. I think this is an excellent snack. So, yeah. Here for the umami. Wow. Give, give it, it all number? to me. Here for the MSG. <laughs> oh, did yeah. you give it a red right number on. rating? Yeah, I said five out of five, bro. Oh, did you? I, I missed it. Uh, wow. Chewing. I was busy looking at... <laughs> some, speaking of fives, I was busy, uh, distracted by 
some information on the nutrition label on the left side of the back package. I don't know if this is on every nutritional label uh, of every food made, but at the very bottom it says uh, by the asterisk, 5% or less is a little. 15% or more is a lot. It's giving us these definitions for the amount of... uh, So some of these things like potassium, calcium, and iron are all 0%. Mm-hmm. That I don't think that means that there's none of these things. I think it just means there's a little bit. Mm. Um, and then with the fat, it's just sell, telling you immediately at 17%, 25%, there's a lot of fat in here. So I was distracted by that because I think that's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And I think every package should have those general descriptors for percentages of things on their packages. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just appropriate that and use it every time <laughs> I look at a nutritional label. Oh, it's on the um, French side. I see. On the yeah. French side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not on the, yeah. Not the Australian Sorry. side. Uh, I also <laughs> found at the very bottom right, it says how to enjoy mini corn chips more delicious. That's a, that's an exclamation point. Taste better with milk. Taste Pour milk with over corn chips. Hey, I have, oh, I'll get I have out of milk. my head, corn chips. Dang. All right. Do it. Do, you do it. To, do you need me to stop for time? So All right. Milk? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll try, try it. it. All right. for time. So I'm enjoying this snack, and I'm going to try and draw out my rating. I like the sweetness of it. I don't think it's too sweet, but I don't think it's undersweet. Like, you're just getting a hint of it. I like the savoriness of it as well. I think it might be a little too savory, though. Might be my thing on that. Um, it's got... More than 15% savory. So it's got a lot of savoriness, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I like the packaging. I thought it was very easy to open. I thought the item on the front of the bag, which is clearly showing us the corn chip, is a correct showing of what that is, a correct representation of what that is. I did think that it looked like a popcorn kernel originally, but it is clearly this flake item. Um, I also like there's little burnt pieces on the corn, showing they cooked it, they roasted it over a little bit of a fire. You're really stalling for time. Um, And so with all of that, taking all of that into consideration, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and give this a 4.75 out of 5. I'm saying that that plus 15% or a lot of savoriness is what bumped it down that quarter percentage. All right, and KJ now, is eating it with milk and not just as like, ah, this is weird. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I like this. <laughs> oh, no, the package lied. Tastes better I with mean, milk. I mean, it's a salty, milky kind of thing okay, with a actually, little sweetness. Real quick. Oh, no. So, <laughs> I do want to, this is probably a grammatical thing, but I do want to say it says taste better with milk. doesn't say taste better with milk. It no, says yeah, taste. definitely. <laughs> well, just, so maybe you can now to... taste better. Maybe now you can taste better with your mouth, your palate, <laughs> because you've eaten it with milk and the corn chips at the same time. It you doesn't make the, the corn sentence? chips taste better. Oh, it does say more delicious. More delicious. No, I, yeah, it, just no, says, it says I'm, how to, and then it just ends in exclamation point. I'm like, that's yeah. not grammatically All right, accurate. call back to an earlier episode. I was too focused on the on the grammatical thing and not focused enough. I missed the top sentence. Okay. So, that, so. so does the milk increase the rating over a five or lower it down from a five? I'm going to say this is a lowering. Lowering. No. <laughs> oh, the package lied. Yeah. Well, because it's like... Now, if you weren't confused enough by looking at it and be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just cornflakes. Now I'm like eating a cereal that looks like corn. Like, imagine actually it'd be a killer prank. Ooh. Imagine you're like, hey, yes. I got oh. you some cornflakes and you April dump Fool. these in instead. And they'd be like, what? What is happening? <laughs> I still like the finish, but I don't like it with the milk. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So I actually saw a, a video online of a guy making um, popcorn uh, ice cream. And they took uh, like popcorn and they soaked it and then they, you know, uh, used a sieve to to make it so that there wasn't chunks and things like that in it. Gross. And then, it, but it was flavored popcorn flavored ice cream. I don't know. That's interesting. Those two it things is. to me don't go together because you got to use yeah. hot to make the right. popcorn. You got to use cold to make that ice cream. So yeah. those things, that math. Ain't mapping. It doesn't sound good, but at That's, the same time, I want to try it. Like, yeah. Of course you do, Nathan. Yeah, I'm going to give the the cornflakes with milk, I'm giving a three out of five. So it's a, Ooh, it's a okay. severe drop off. A severe two-point drop. All right. Yeah. 40% so, drop in rating. That's what it is. That's what it be. That was corn mini corn chips by Guggen. 
Um, yep. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show and yeah. for, for trying this fake breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for eating those with milk. That's the title of this um, episode. Where where can people find you? How do, how do people break into the knitting community? Uh, yeah, Come all, the, all us, the questions. Yeah. yeah, are you accepting applications to your adoptee knitting group? <laughs> How, what if they? What if they are currently crocheters, but they're like ready Ooh. to betray the tribe? Like, oh. will you welcome oh, them? No. Yeah. Come on, bring oh, it in. All right, everybody, open arms. Anyone yes. with a needle <laughs> <laughs> or a hook? You're like oh, cross stitching. Yeah. Cross stitching is right no, out. No, no, none no. of none of that business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, right now my. Um, Instagram handle is Ravel Reese. And I am not on Facebook anymore. So that's really Yay. all you All right. Hooray. All right. Only Nathan. The last person <laughs> the on last Facebook. Person. The first <laughs> and the last. Actually, I'm sure that'll be my dad. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah, you no, so yeah, much for coming on. Coming on. For yeah. giving us so much of your story and being so vulnerable with us and enjoying these cornflakes with us. Um, you know, I, I personally, it's a privilege for me to have you on. It's a privilege to have anybody on that's from our group. So uh, it means a lot to me to have you on the show. And I know you've been listening for a while, so that also means a lot. And hopefully we'll see each other in person very soon. Um, if you want to keep seeing us, people who are listening, you can follow <laughs> us on social media at John Chi Show. Um, you can also go to johnchishow.com or johnchishow.com backslash support to find out different ways to support us and also see us over there because I think there's some pictures of us on that website. Um, it's like the same uh, picture blah, 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 blah. over and over again. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send us uh, outside of the social media platforms. You can send us an email to johnchishow at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail 972-677-8867. If you're feeling up to it, you really like what you hear on the show every week and you want to leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're currently listening to this on, that would be great as well. Greatly appreciate it as well. Uh, if you want to find me, you can do that at Patrick in the world, wherever on the internet. Uh, I'm at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found. Also, uh, we are on Reddit now because uh, the listener started <laughs> oh, that. So that's fantastic. I think he's just me and him, but <laughs> <you're actually there. laughs> all right. I'm, I'm for it. I'm here for it. Okay. Nathan? I'm uh, on Instagram and Nowak and uh, Facebook, Nathan Nowak. Manning the after party. Man, oh, man it. You asked me I mean, a question. You're, you're, we've essentially elected you the leader of the show. So that's why you have to be in the after party. Well, we've elected him the high young of the show. No, no, no. Not the seniority young. thing. The high okay, young. Okay, okay. He's the high <laughs> young. <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, hey, Lauren! Hey, and thank a, you. And so as this episode c- comes out, I will be with my Hyung. So, oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, in so Hawaii. Stay tuned for more information on that. All right. Well, Lauren, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Until next time, and until you hear us talking about Nathan's trip with his Hyung in Hawaii. Uh, Chachi. Hey, Chachi. Hey, timing. We got to hit the button. I mean, I always forget <laughs> I got to hit the button. <laughs>